0: For great looking t-shirts, hoodies and sweatshirts, the TNT shop is now open at tntradio.live. Coming to you live from Sweden, you're with Pella Neroth taylor on today's News Talk TNT.
1: Yes, hello. My name is Pella neuroth Yes, Hi, thank you. Welcome to my show. Um, today's theme is going to be about children and young people. Um not the uh, thousands of dead children in gaza other people are doing that and it's a tragic story but um i was down in south africa recently and the educational results in that country are absolutely terrible and i'm going to talk to somebody who can perhaps uh, give us a guide to way out of that problem not the the worst case. Uh, not I. W- I met a teacher who was on the absolute front lines, um, a feisty Boer sort of woman with a, with a with a sort of leathery tan and steel in her eyes. Uh, a woman in her sixties, whose husband had been in the special forces in the nineteen eighties, um, and done bad things. But she had felt the need to sort of atone for the bad things the whites did. And so after the Rainbow Revolution in nineteen ninety four, she became a teacher in a public school. That's a state school. And for quite a low salary, um, spent years teaching mathematics to mostly black pupils. Um, but when I went down to see her, she was a, a woman who's clearly at the end of her tether and was very frank about um, the education system. Now, let's let be clear that um, it's not necessarily about money or race, uh, although those arguments have been advanced because the interesting thing is that um, if you go down to South Africa, they'll tell you that they that their preference is for hiring Zimbabweans, black Zimbabweans, because they have a very good education system. And obviously they're black. And Zimbabwe had sort of 16 quintillion percent inflation under Mugabe and uh, was uh, is much poorer than South Africa, but they still managed to get much better education results. Whereas South Africa is probably the most favored country uh, in on the African continent. It's to, to some degree of every first world economy. And uh, it feels in parts quite prosperous, you know, and other parts are really desperate. Uh, But she was telling me that um, a lot of her black students, they were not that badly off either because their their parents were middle-class black, some of whom had benefited from this thing called BEE, which is the Black Economic Empowerment System, which uh, puts people in administrative jobs and other well-off, well, quite well-paid jobs in the in the state sector and in administration and education and so on. And so they had some money to play around with, but she felt that their offspring didn't have any educational culture and were not interested in studying. And I asked her, frankly, if, if uh, this was the future black elite of South Africa. And she said, no, that's absolutely impossible. Um, and she had uh, no support and she, uh, from her fellow teachers and she was sometimes subjected to racial abuse that is black against white racial abuse and um i sensed that she was a woman targeted because i was sitting inside this porter cabin talking to her and there were kind of people drumming on the on the doors and windows as if to to sort of intimidate her and true enough a few weeks after i left um she was uh, fired or there was some altercation that led her sacking and apparently she'd been in a physical fight with the, one of the older prefect students or something terrible story i won't mention her name uh, and hope she's doing well whatever she does but who we do have who's uh who's a very very healthy state is abri snyman whom i also met and as an entrepreneur and a, an architect and a man very well connected into uh, the business life of south africa and obviously a, a very sort of um empathetic man i found I like all the white South Africans I met—I mean, they have no problems discussing the bad things about apartheid and completely frank about it. In a way, with a greater empathy than I often meet uh, in Europe, you know. Um, and he had some interesting descriptions—I mean, hands-on descriptions—but also um, he would, he also had some solutions, which are going to be hard to push through. But uh, there you go. I mean, he's he's got a roadmap, map, I guess. Um, my second guest today will. Uh, come later is also uh, a man interested in, in young people's fates and he is going to reveal to us the most amazing medical hoax in swedish history that involves uh, refugee children who were uh, uh, spent months at a time in bed uh, under a, a, a nutrition drip and told to fake illness or unconsciousness um, because they wanted their parents to stay in the country and get automatic residence rights now a lot of swedish doctors knew this was a hoax and they didn't stick their head above the parapet uh, because they said you know we dare not it's politically incorrect to do so one guy who did who's a credential doctor uh, worked for a long time for the nhs in london with the English sounding name of Thomas Jackson, although he's uh, Swedish, came back to Sweden and kind of blew this story open. And his career and his life has suffered because he was courageous where other people were not. And he said that um, many, many children were uh, traumatized for this and they had to leave the country anyway. Uh, whereas uh, the guy who, um, uh, he's, his career is still suffering, he's going to get some judicial Um, sort of turnaround, I think, soon, but um, the guy who wrote a famous award-winning book about it in Sweden that didn't expose the hoax, but went along with the hoax, he's won literary prizes and even a a TV streaming series on an international network. So there you go. It, It pays to go with the flow often, and it doesn't pay to be a rebel and a truth teller. So here we are. This is TNT Radio,
0: it's the stuff. It's that division people are talking about. And that cluelessness that they want to push. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT.
2: Hi, Abri. How are you doing? Um, good afternoon. Uh, I am jealous. very well. we in summer and uh, weather is good. Life is good. Thank you.
1: Right. It's minus 15 here, but go ahead. I'm not jealous. <laughs> um. <laughs> <laughs> um t- Tell us a little bit about how you felt at the time of the Rainbow Revolution in 1994. Uh, Did you feel that same surge of optimism that many South Africans felt that you're turning over a new leaf and the new South Africa was going to be a great country to live in?
2: Yes, I definitely did. Um, I grew up under the apartheid system, of course, of which I was, since I was very small, uh, not supporting it. Not understanding exactly how it is, but, uh, growing up in a system that was so well established, uh, there was not many options. So except for having a a discussion, uh, with your dad that is also involved in the politics and say, but, you know, it doesn't feel right, you know, uh, there was not much that you can, could do, um, and as you, you grow older, you, you type of get used to it. And, uh, so you think, okay, well, there's not much we can do about it now. So it's not perfect. It's not good. There's good things. Of course, it was beneficially to, to, uh, to the white population mostly. And, and therefore it, it's more difficult to find fault with something that you benefit from. Um, yeah. And, uh, then. Uh, as the turmoil and things got more, and uh, and eventually the announcement came that we're going to normalise, of course there was a, a big excitement by uh, with most of of people, a lot of people, excluding of course the the die-hard uh, apartheid people that really have spent their life in defending it and uh, supporting it. And, uh and and lived in a bubble basically of of what life in South Africa uh, was at that stage because for uh, a huge percentage of the white people it was good uh we only were allowed to see on TV and whatever what what the government want us to see so uh, and there was the the big uh issue about uh uh, communism, and it was equated in a way that once uh, there's the, uh, the white people's not uh, running the country, it's going to become a communist country and there will be issues with your religion and all the typical things that politicians do to brainwash people. And, uh, yeah, uh, I, I think most of the people was really just brainwashed into it, benefited from it and therefore uh, not many people made waves around it. And and some of them, of course, was very concerned uh, about uh, their safety, about yeah. uh, the future of the country. The,
1: the communist thing is interesting because obviously it ended, that fear ended when Gorbachev ended communism. The Soviet Union collapsed and that fear allowed F.W. de Klerk to move on and move ahead with elections because they couldn't chalk the communist bogey on the wall, right? But, but some South Africans say, well, the communists came in through the back door because, uh, you know, the ANC learnt their trade from Vietnam or whatever, and in Moscow, and although Moscow had collapsed, they had quite their political and and economic views were very redistributionist and fine if you can generate wealth at the same time, but they imported they had this very egalitarian quota system BEE that puts a lot uh, a lot of white people left their jobs retired early and then a a lot of black people came in under quota systems can you tell us a bit about BEE and the whole quota system thing
2: yes well uh, BEE in different formats that have been uh, implemented of course over the last uh, 25 odd years and basically it just comes down to the fact that a certain percentage of people that you employ must be previous disadvantaged. Um, the result of that is that the best person do not get the job, and it's not only as far as jobs are concerned. It's about getting uh, a place in a university if you want to uh, to uh, become a medical doctor. And there's fifty spots. uh 10 or 8 or whatever of those will be, will be available to, to, uh, to white people. And, um, of course, that, that will mean that, uh, some previous disadvantaged pupils with very, uh, lower marks and possibilities of, uh, of succeeding in the course would be allowed in while people that really, uh, was born to, to be that have the intelligence for that, uh, you know, put their, their future on it would not be allowed to study. And of course, that is very traumatic for the person, including the family and including everybody that is aware of the, of the unfairness, uh, of the system. In the same breath, I must say, those same people never had much to say for the previous, in the previous regime, where no matter how intelligent how you were, your chances of of getting chance to go and study at a at a proper university was was zero in a way. So um, it it's just reversed from what it was, and obviously when you're on the receiving end, you you're not happy with.
1: It. You're sort of replacing one injustice with another injustice in a way.
2: Yes, that, that's true, but again, giving the background, I think there was and still is some kind of a need to rectify the situation, Um it, it's very difficult if if you come from a very low base to compete with people that ha- was privileged, and uh, as far as the education system is concerned, obviously that was also not equal. Um so the, the privileged schools and then the mostly the white schools and the government schools and private schools for, uh, for white people, because that was, uh, segregated, uh, was much, much better and higher quality than, uh, the, the other schools. Um, I heard the figure once and I, I it sounds a bit right that for every dollar, uh, that was, uh, was spent on, on a previous disadvantaged child. $10 was spent on a white child. So the results of that one can understand. Uh, you couldn't really participate on equal footing between the two. So I, th- I think there was a need to, to, to fix it. And I don't really believe there is an easy way to do it. Um, well, I also uh, uh, um, th- there was also quite a lack of facilities and whatever for for previous disadvantaged people.
1: I mean, I I spent some time after the end of communism traveling around Eastern Europe, and what was striking was. Um, how many people had stories of if they came from bourgeois backgrounds, middle class, if their parents were academics, they couldn't get to university. They had minus points, whereas if you were a child of a labourer or something. And so that was you got automatic entry into universities. And that was one of the big gripes I found from people's personal lives. And so in a way, what you've got had in post rainbow revolutions in South Africa was the same issue, the same attempts at redistribution redistribute unjust social goods except that it was about race rather than social class but um i think we can talk about that after the ad break this is tnt radio
0: tnt radios hervoy morich approximately six hundred and fifty thousand ukrainian men aged 18 to 60 have left ukraine for europe since the start of the war it's a tough spot if your country is being invaded
1: uh, that's one thing, and you're a, a male and a citizen. Um, but, you know, if the war, if it's a globalist war, I, I wouldn't want to
0: participate <laughs> in these banker globalist wars, and most of them just uh, are. Hervoye Morich on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Radio works because of its ability to personalize to the listener. What's exciting these days is that people are rediscovering it. You know, people are really rediscovering just how powerful radio is, how ubiquitous it is. It's in our cars. It's in our homes. There are so many new ways to access it. It's everywhere. To find out more, go to TNTradio.live. TNTradio.live. Online. Online. Online streaming. Be a part of the conversation. I stream it all at work, and I stream it to my phone and listen to it wherever I go. TNT.
1: Hi, I'm Pelene Roth-Taylor, and I've got Abri Snyman from South Africa talking about the South African education system. Um, what do you think of the fact that South Africa comes third from bottom in the OECD education rankings? I mean, it's, it's really terrible, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it is sad and, and scary in a way. Um, I do have some understanding of the reasons behind it. Although I must say, I am not an educational specialist. I just uh, comment from uh, from reality, from, from what we deal with on a, on a daily basis. Um, well, part and parcel of the problem is obviously what we mentioned, that there's they still quite a bit of unequalness as far as education is concerned between the, the richer urban schools, uh, private schools, and um, where people have a choice where they want to go to. And then your rural schools and your, uh, your, your township schools, as we used to call them, uh, where, for instance, uh, a typical amount of children in a class in a, in the first world school would be 25. Uh, I know of a teacher in one of the, uh, pre- previous disadvantaged schools that start off with 146 year old kids in grade one now what type of education can you provide a child for, for for that then of course there is a huge influx of previous disadvantaged people in universities and uh, and and some of them are doing very well um the problem uh that we deal with and as a entrepreneur employing people we find that um is that often Uh, children or maybe the first one in their family to go to university. And then there's some expectation of them and they might have the feeling to study something with some political power or some influence or it's not the typical, uh, jobs that there's, for instance, a need for. Uh, so we sit with a, a amount of Graduated people that will just never find a job in their field of study. Um, and then, of course, where we have the huge need is your engineers, your, your, uh, uh, your people that really needs to be, be excellent in maths and those type of things. And I don't think there's a very good basis, uh, for education in those subjects. So, uh, and it, mm-hmm. it boils down to reading, writing, maths, all of those things. There's no proper basis for it. And of course, the teachers, remember in the previous, uh, dispensation, very little was spent on educating, uh, future educators. So even if you go to, to a school or whatever, you might find that, that the teacher you have is, is, is not really the best
1: yeah I talked to some engineers because I was doing a story about engineering and that and the collapse in infrastructure you know having these power cuts is it eight or ten hours a day or something and um they were saying that they were not they were listing the countries that were overtaking South Africa because South Africa was Uh, self-sufficient, had a lot of water, had a lot of dams. I mean, you can blame apartheid for a lot of things, but it had good engineers and a good infrastructure. So they built, they had excellent power supply, excellent dams, and a lot of water for for the population. And um, some of the more uh, sardonic people said, we we, we left the ANC, which took over in 1994, with the table fully laid. Um, It was almost a first world country and now how many com- south africa is still knocking around uh, It hasn't improved that much it's uh, 30% or 35% unemployment 60 or 65% youth unemployment and countries like south korea made that journey from absolute poverty without the advantages that south africa had in 30 years and is now you know a developed country turkey's over to- vietnam which was bombed by the americans to smithereens you know and millions dead agent orange was very poor and now it's a sort of you know edging up towards uh, upper middle income or whatever you want to call it i mean one guy one engineer traveled to vietnam recently said that it was better off than south africa i mean that's terrible isn't it it's better to be to be bombed by the americans than to be ruled by the anc <laughs>
2: yeah i think there's there's various factors of course that that makes the situation a bit different uh we and and, and you asked me about the excitement of the uh, rainbow nation of course at that stage we we were in our minds saw this uh flourishing uh country with everybody contributing and um but i think it was not realistic uh, we were in a bubble because we lived in, in our world and, and they, from that point, it's fairly easy to, uh, to develop it. But if you need to include another 80% of people that did not have these privileges, um, that, uh, had to be brought on board, you know, a typical example from uh, our town planning experiences is that uh some of the townships, for instance, uh had no tarred roads. You know, so we would we used we to the highway. We go on the highway, perfect, wonderful, first world. But then at that point, the government had to start uh taking money away from those maintenance and stuff to build stuff that was never done before. And of course, then there's the huge, uh, elephant in the room, and that is corruption, theft, uh, cater deployment. So, um, there's a lot of reasons also just from a human side why it is bound to fail and fail even more, uh, if those things are, are not addressed and, um, at this stage, I think it's quite entrenched in the system, and um, I cannot foresee that in the near future there's going to be a big turnaround. Uh, there will have to be uh, election-wise, there will have to be changes. It's not going to be this year, perhaps in five years' time. Uh, I think a new political dispensation plus the added advantage of youngsters that was not part of the struggle because uh as long as there's people that's from the struggle they will vote vote for the struggle party and struggle parties have never been good at running a country
1: yeah we'll get onto that in a second actually because the anc as uh, the party of nelson mandela um saint mandela is has ruled south africa non-stop uh for 30 years and that's because you didn't get a political system after 1994, proper political system with pluralism, but because uh, the ANC had this enormous credibility and their black rivals were edged out. But can can I just go back to the the point about um, the culture of corruption? Don't you think the culture of corruption, based on on sort of racial quotas and and jobs for for based on your political skills at saying you're a victim rather than boring and hard work like mathematics and engineering? doesn't that what sort of world does that create in the imagination of a young black student who wants to make it he thinks well let's just let's play the race card and i'll get a job but if i do the job if I if i become a good engineer i'm just going to be better than my boss and my boss is not going to like me because he's got there because of corruption and he might he might not even consider me uh and so let, let's let's play the game play the play the victim game or something and of course. You can't run a country if full of victims in in a competitive world, you know.
2: Yeah, and um, I, I, I'm, I'm sure there is some truth in it. My personal optimistic opinion is that with all our troubles, with the history, we have enormous amount of good war in South Africa, and we have a big enough a group of of young uh young up and coming people that really want to do it the correct way and that that will go through the processes but of course uh as long as corruption is is that easy uh it it is very lucrative type of thing it's it's like prime as well you know, why, uh, why go and spend eight hours in the office, uh, five days a week if you can make the same by, uh, you know, stealing stuff. But again, I, I think we must not underestimate the moral fiber of, of a huge percentage of people in South Africa of all races. Uh, I deal with people on a regular basis and I'm, I'm surprised under circumstances, uh, the quality of people that, that we have. So I, I don't mm. think it, it's total doom and gloom as far as that's no. concerned. I think we must get the, the hindrances out of the way. Uh, and, and there is a future.
1: Do you think, I mean, there's an election coming up this year. Um, do you think the, the South Africans are going to have a proper democratic choice? Um, tell me about it because South Africa is, uh, I think that the Western liberal media lost interest in, in South Africa for 30 years because they bagged it as a victory and said, well, you know, the forces of good triumph, let's go somewhere else and, and focus our attention. And I think yeah. what I'm, I'm quite well versed in f- current affairs. Okay. But I'm not an Africa specialist, but a lot of the things, the research I did before I went down there was totally new to me. I mean, I didn't realize the unemployment figures, for instance, I didn't, hadn't, hadn't heard of BEE. So I'm sure among the audience, Listening now, who might know have a vague idea of Nelson Mandela's smiling face when they think about South Africa? They'll be thinking about the things you and I are discussing. But what's happening now? Let's try and be optimistic. Is there's an election this year? There's. Can you tell us about the the election landscape? Because South Africa is now a focus of attention because of the BRICS thing and because of the International Court of Justice against Putin and so on. So people are the BBC is starting to covering the negative sides of South Africa. Tell us about the the election campaign and what's, what's going to happen this year in South Africa.
2: Well, uh, the the statistics up to now and and the estimates uh, definitely for the first time I think in history estimate that the ANC might not get fifty percent, uh, but that would still not make much of a difference. Um, anything I think up to. 45, 46%, there's enough small parties that will go with the ANC uh, to still give them the majority. So I am fairly convinced that we have another five years at least of uh, ANC rule. Um Once it goes under 45, uh, there, there's some scary scenarios basically. Uh, And and one of that is that the ANC will join up with the EFF. Uh, The EFF being, uh, well, what we would think the worst case scenario can be. Uh, But I think if the ANC had to choose of getting into bed with the EFF, uh, make Julius Malema, give him some high position, and they still run the country – I think that is worst case scenario for us. So although a lot of, of people think, well, if we can, if the ANC just don't get 45% or 50%, I think that can be our, our worst scenario. Um, mm. so, so you think the my, EFF
1: could, re- yeah, sorry. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. My, my estimate is that, that they will get 47, 48% of, of the vote. And that they will, with the smaller parties, still, still be able to, to, to reach the 50%. Uh, I think the bigger challenge will be the next municipal elections, uh, because over the last few elections already, uh, there was lots of turmoil and, uh, and consensus can't be reached between the parties. So, so that's our, but that's in two, two years time.
1: Just to interrupt, do you think that the, the the so the ANC will be ruling as before without the EFF, which is the worst possible scenario?
2: Yeah. And the EFF, I, I believe that that there's enough not some, other s- smaller parties that will will push them over the fifty percent.
1: But that's not an ideal solution, is it? So it's it's the least bad solution. In other words, I mean,
2: yeah. Uh, the the sad part of it is that. I don't see any real good solution at this stage. Mm. Uh, we all would like to believe that that the DA can make a positive contribution, but at this stage, they just don't have enough support. They have enough internal issues, I think, that is, is negative to the party. But we are very far from any party that can replace the ANC as the majority party. Um, maybe, and now, uh, with Jacob Zuma also leaving the ANC type of thing, we're not sure exactly what it, maybe there will be a split in the next few years of the ANC that would bring it to a 25, 25% where you will right. have two, two parties to choose from and I think then there's a new political landscape uh, that, that we'll have to deal with. But mm. I'm fairly convinced the next five years we, we not much will change. Um I can also not see uh, that the ANC can change course or whatever to mm. uh to, to make it better.
1: Right let's just uh, so i just put in brackets the EFF is this radical redistributionist party that they want to confiscate white people's property and they're they're no go sort of thing and then the da is this democratic alliance which is a sort of liberal party that's i don't know what you could call it pro western or something and it's got a a, a large white presence or the, a lot of the whites support it but just to for the last few minutes can you just tell us a little bit about where south africa's heading geopolitically is it a friend of the west or is it a friend of uh, russia and china
2: yo that's a question that i don't have the answer for and and i think every day we we have a different view i think what we must not forget is that the anc as the terrorist organization as a, a a freedom part was supported by russia so I think they have the feeling that it's payback time. Um, I think dealing with countries like Russia, that I think have their own uh, own issues as far as corruption is concerned and whatever. And um, I think the corruption part is a big link also in the uh, in 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 the ANC's uh, affinity for for Russia and right. uh, and allies um so personally i i think it's historic uh i don't think it's the right thing to do personally if you look at our trade is with europe and america if uh, if we will get sanctioned or whatever from those countries we will be in real trouble and um, so right. I think on, on that note, are,
1: yeah, that's They are interrupt.
2: risking. They, I think, they are are, are risking uh, 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 the bigger picture, perhaps for small, uh, small gains, personal gains, or or party gains, or whatever. Of course, for a party like the ANC to to stay in power, they need money as well, and I'm sure there is some support. Uh, as far as that's concerned from uh,
1: from of country as well. Abri, I'd like to thank you very much. You've told and uh, we've talked about a very interesting picture of South Africa that you don't often get, I think. Uh, it's a country that's uh, in terms of racial equality has traveled far, but there's still a, a long way to go and there's still a lot of poverty and the system as it is doesn't quite work. and you're dubious about its geopolitical, direction.
0: Thank you very much. This is TNT Radio. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The truth is Parkinson's disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. Worldwide, over 10 million people are living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement. And with so many places to search for information, it can be difficult to know where to begin. The Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease, help you find expert care, give you tips for living a better life, share the latest research, help you find local support, and there's a free helpline you can call. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org or call 1-800-4PD-INFO. The parkinson's foundation better Better lives lives together from the cold war to propaganda and the deep state Helen duroth taylor on today's news talk tnt
1: hi there our next guest is thomas jackson who's a sort of whistleblower and an anti-hoaxer um who's revealed this enormous medical stat scandal in sweden and could you tell us a little bit about it starting with the 2004 spate of articles about these children suffering from a very strange health problem
3: yes um what happened was that i was um, back for holiday in sweden i was for the moment uh, at that moment uh, working in uk and uh, i got back to sweden 2005 the fall of 2005. And then I saw a lot of uh, interviews and pictures of uh, children on stretches, and uh, uh, they were tube-fed and paralytic, and uh, they didn't say anything. So I wondered what this was. And after some weeks, I uh, began to realize that I had uh, learned some... um, I got some education in in United Kingdom, that uh, adults sometimes uh, coerce their children to act ill, uh, to gain social benefits, etc. So, when I saw these news programs in Sweden, I wrote actually to the state, to the Swedish State Department that were was dealing with this issue. And I told them that this might be induced illness. Uh, so that's how it started. I saw it on tv i was back uh, on holiday to sweden from uk and i realized that someone has to bring up this knowledge that we have in the medical field about um, induced Ill- illness in children what were the
1: children then when you say they were induced what state were they in um, and yes. were they brought into hospital or what, what happened
3: um both uh, things happened um, i was um, just uh, looking at them through uh, on television and reading about them in newspapers. So after a while I contacted a Swedish uh, daily newspaper I think they correspond to the Daily Telegraph in UK and I told them that uh, this this might be child abuse that uh, the parents are using their children as torpedoes to gain asylum in Sweden and uh, the journalist uh, I, spoke over the phone with, his name was Markus Luttemann. And he told me, oh, Thomas, that's very good. I'm happy that you tell this, because if you have the courage to step forward and talk about these things, I have two other adult psychiatrists that also can contribute to the discussion. Because until then, everyone has been so to say, very fearful of talking about this issue, because in Sweden at that at that time it was a, a very sensitive issue to make allegations against refugees, because refugees were seen as victims to 100 percent, and of course these uh, these adult victims have no idea how to hurt their own children. So that was the common uh, the common opinion. And
1: what happened next? Do, you were excoriated for for this because you were seen as heartless and yes, didn't care. You were called a a, 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 a right winger, far right. That's correct. Was oh,
2: was, it was far
1: to- right? How was it used in the Swedish debate? As a sort of sledgehammer, isn't it? Um, yes, against yes. any anyone who questions anything. Tell us That's what right. happened next in terms well, of your uh,
3: good. Thank you for the question. Um, What happened was that after I tried to raise some concern about this, this Swedish newspaper called Svenska Dagbladet, they interviewed me. And then I told that this might be child abuse. So I and two other psychiatrists um, uh, told the same thing, that this might be uh, uh, abuse of children. Uh, Of course, uh, this was uh, uh, strongly contradicted by the uh, pediatricians in Sweden. Because the pediatricians in Sweden have uh, had for a couple of years told that this is a new illness. We have discovered an illness that uh, no one else has discovered. And as these pediatricians and child psychiatrists we're working at Karolinska Institute. You know. Tell us uh, about Karolinska, Karolinska Institute. Yeah, Karolinska Institute is um, um, uh, something that Sweden, that Swedes are very proud of. The Karolinska Institute's professors um, select um, the um, Nobel Prize winner in medicine. Oh, and of course, if you work at Karolinska Institute, and if the professors at Karolinska, if the professors at Karolinska Institute, by the way, where I had my own uh, education, uh, if they say something, of course, that's the truth. So these uh, professors told uh, that we have discovered a new illness, and we call it resignation syndrome. But in reality, it, it was um, resignation because of uh, abuse that the children were abused in Sweden. So, but they didn't say that. They just told that these children have a resignation sy- syndrome, and the only way to help them is to give them asylum. So it was kind of vicious circle.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: That uh, the so they invented
1: Ill- something basically that had no equivalent and no no support in the medical literature. And and you were a regular contributor or something to the BMJ. And uh, was it a sort of syndrome of the, were you like the little boy in the emperor's new clothes, which is a Scandinavian story, story by the way, and they were the emperors uh, and you were like the little annoying boy in that story? Yeah, I
3: think that's uh, very true what you say. Uh, I was... Um, um, I wasn't it wasn't meant that me a little boy uh, like a little boy should shout about this because the, the mighty Karolinsky Institute they have their professors and uh, uh, they told that this is a resignation dressing resigna, nation uh, syndrome nation syndrome um that develops because of uh, trauma that the child had been exposed to in the country they fled from. So um, uh, yes, that's it. But d- didn't you say that the best cure for this?
1: Uh, I mean, apparently they were, they were they lay in bed for for many long hours a day, and for, for sometimes months at a time. And um, yes, and they got wor- they genuinely got worse. I mean, when they were not faking it.
3: Sure.
1: Uh, but didn't you say at some point that the best cure for mm-hmm. these children is just to lift them out and put them in the on the grass outside the hospital, and they'll soon get up and mm-hmm. start walking. But-
3: well, I didn't say so, but uh, um, I have told some people that uh, when, I, when I have been working at psychiatric hospitals abroad, they sometimes treat malingerers in that way, uh, adult malingerers. They take them out on the grass and let them be there. But I never told that so about the children. I told that. Uh, actually i told clearly that as far as long as the swedish pediatricians don't understand what they're doing we must give these children asylum in sweden so i demanded asylum for these poor children because they shouldn't uh, be tortured because of swedish pediatricians lacking competence mm. So what you're saying is you you you're actually advocating the
1: humane solution, saying something like, "Well, if they're prepared to do this, then okay, let them stay, basically, to their children." Yes. I mean, isn't what you what, what this isn't this like the syndrome of of gypsy children in in Rome or whatever? They lie half dead by the Spanish Steps, and mm-hmm. induce tourists who give them money because they're sort of dying or whatever and 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 sometimes they're drugged and sometimes they're just faking it and then what you're saying is that the swedish medical industry created this whole illusion delusional construction i mean they they wrote papers they talked about it as if it was a real thing whereas you we are saying come on you can, you can just see that they they just want to stay in the country and they're not really ill basically that was that's that's what your stance was and you paid the uh, price
3: yes uh, uh, actually my my main goal uh, goal was to protect the children um but uh, that was pretty tough because when when i told that the adult asylum seekers are using their children as torpedoes and they tube feed them month after month of course the children get Ill, they get very sick of this treatment. So they are true. Mm. The children are traumatized, and we know by blood samples that they have extreme levels of stress hormones. So to put a child in this position, to uh, lie in a mutistic state on a bed, uh, tube fed, week after week f- uh, for months, and some children several years actually, is uh, of course uh, something. Uh, uh, Astonishing, uh, um, awful, uh, astonishingly awful. And uh, uh, but that's what happened in Sweden. And, and today, we know that some children have spoken about this. Uh, um, now grown up, um, uh, refugee children have told that they. We don't understand. How come that uh, the doctors didn't underst- understand this? And actually, this book I will show you. This is uh, from a Swedish journalist. It took until this book by a journalist uh, that the children uh, could speak about this uh, t- uh, terrifying events that, have, uh, that they have been f- through. Yeah. And um
1: he's a I know of that journalist I've never met him but he's a kind of truth teller as well Matthias Jöransson or something.
3: No, yes, uh, but, um, yeah. Ola, Ola Sandstig. Uh, ah, okay. yeah. yeah. Uh, the journalist of the book um who wrote the book is uh, Ola Sandstig and okay, his yeah. um, uh, editor was Matthias Jöransson. Um
1: and do you want us to tell us about the villain in your eyes in this story which was the the mainstream journalist who who jumped on board this story and, and it made his career and he was lionized in sweden and he even got a, a tv series on an international streaming network as a reward and then he was he got good reviews and all the lovies and the swedish elite kind of said <clears> he was a star invited to all the parties and so on but he was basically completely wrong about everything
3: yes yes um, tell tell us know about that, him um, well i don't uh, i don't want to speak evil about people as you i know that you understand me uh, his name is gelle thomas and um uh, he has no medical training and he has uh, not even been through uh, any journalistic school as far as i know so he he is a self-learned journalist and uh, he got this um uh this task from swedish state television to investigate um, what is happening. And that is astonishing that a, a person without medical training and without journal, journalistic education um, <clears throat> is given a task from a state television to investigate this very complicated medical issue. Uh, so, But he got it all wrong. Uh, and um, he thought uh, he just listened to some activistic uh, pediatricians that um, uh, uh, that believed that they didn't dare to confrontate the adults uh, so he uh, these pediatricians got gilla thomas ear so to say and gilla thomas was a television a swedish television public service expert so he had um, a totally open space to trumpet his <laughs> his um, um, version of this enigmatic uh, epidemic. So that was sad because um, he told that the adults. Uh, he told that the adult asylum seekers are totally innocent, and the state investigation. The state investigation mentioned my name. The state investigation is. Um, um, uh, influenced by right-wing extremists. And <laughs> he gave me as an example uh, 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 for a right-wing extremist in the state investigation. And, right. um, um, and I was not even permitted to answer, uh, to make a reply to these allegations. I was totally excluded from the public platform. So, uh, everyone believed that I and many others in the state investigation were incompetent and right-wingers, etc. So um,
1: and you were not given a right to reply. I mean these are serious no, yeah, allegations was, against you. Um,
3: yes, uh, it's okay if they make allegations against me. I, I mean uh, of course in the free world you must be able but uh, to make to to ask people why are you thinking of this etc but um, I was not even uh, I was not given a po- uh, an opportunity to reply and that is very uh i think it's criminal it's 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 uh, to tell that a person we now know that i was right if not about every children so many children are uh, evidently what i suggested coerced illness um, uh, induced illness uh, people know that today but um uh, i have uh, still not been able to justify my own name so now i'm um i'm working on a uh, court issue. Uh, I, I have taken Swedish state television to court in Stockholm. So we'll see what happens. Uh, the court hearings will appear in April.
1: Sweden has an excellent reputation abroad and has a very good public, um, what's the word, there's a, a public diplomacy is where you invite travel journalists over to do safe reportages about the ice hotel in Lapland sort of thing. Um, But do you think this reflects badly on Sweden's excellent image abroad and the excellent image of the Nobel Prize for Medicine awarded by the Karolinska Institute?
3: Yes. um, uh, I am very sorry to say uh, that I agree with you, uh, or I um, I believe it's the way you describe it. That one reason why, actually if I may uh, use strong words, it seems like the Karolinska Institute today, they don't want to admit that they were wrong about these children. Uh, because if they do so, it will be a scandal, uh, bigger than the Machiarini scandal we have had at uh, Karolinska Institute uh, some years ago. Uh, I guess you have heard about the Macchiarini scandal. The, the, yes was, uh, but you have to uh,
1: summarize it in 20 seconds because we're right, coming yes. up to the next item
3: okay. uh, yes uh the Machiarini scandal was um, a surgeon who um, made surgery with plastic uh, throats and that was of course something that he didn't succeed in doing and and, and there was uh, a lot of uh, bluff about this so um, yeah i'd like to uh conc- could
1: you make a concluding remarks in 10 seconds on uh, are you optimistic about your own future uh, as yes, a, so. a, a man whose name has been cleared well okay um, I, i'd like to uh to, i'll follow your case and i wish you the best of luck in your court case coming up in april against swedish state television this is tnt news